Well, good morning again. I spent the last week um, serving along the Amazon River with our, our ministry missions partner, Justice and Mercy International, and I had just an amazing experience. Stories will make their way into all of the opportunities that I have um, to teach and open God's Word with you. Um, I say that to let you know um, that I brought my coffee on stage with me today. Um, this is the sound of what the Amazon does to my vocal cords, and so I'm going to caffeinate and lubricate appropriately today, um, as needed, you know, just as needed. But I'm excited to be back because God always um, proves himself again missionally in my life um, as a reminder that missions is as much a part of our discipleship growth process as anything else. Maybe even more so because I can't think of a time in my life when I was growing spiritually and not actively serving. I can't think of a time in my life when I was actively serving but not growing spiritually because they are like fraternal twins. The idea of any sort of spiritual growth that manifests itself in our life is always going to come out and work itself out through acts of service. So people say to me all the time, you know, hey, I really just want to grow deeper. I want I want to grow deeper in my faith. Show me what to read. Show me what I need to study. Show me what I need to learn in order to grow deeper with Christ. And the answer to me is typically, that's great. We can read and read and read and read and study and study and study and study and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. And I geek out on some of that stuff. But if it's not putting those things into practice in our life, then we are uh, the crazy guy who, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, who decided that we were going to build our house on sand. We're, we're, we're the person who lets his words go in, but we don't put them into practice. And so we're going to continue as a church to pump out and to push opportunities to serve, both here locally, right in this body, um, the people on stage today in the, the, the fun green t-shirts that say family ministry. They're just not choosing that out of their closet because they like it. Um, they're wearing it on Sunday mornings because they like those kids. Um, and, and more than that, they like Jesus and, and want to see him be implanted in their tiny, impressionable hearts. Um, we're excited to give you opportunities as a church body to serve one another, but then also locally in our community so that people in this neighborhood and the surrounding parts of Nashville might see and experience Jesus and then ultimately get your passport ready. And I say that because those expedited charges, if you wait till the last minute, are brutal. You don't want to do that. You don't want to give the U.S. government an extra $100 because you didn't get your passport in time. Get it now so that you're ready when God says go and, and you're already prepped and available to go wherever it is and to serve however he says to serve. I'm excited about continuing this Bible passage um, this week in my life because it comes from Matthew chapter 25. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to advance yourself and be there um, ready for it. But one of the things that I think that we do kind of wrong in our lives is when we segment and pick apart and pull out just specific parts of scripture and just get real myoptic in just one of those. Because the Bible is not just a collection of wise sayings and a collection of great stories. It's not the Canterbury Tales or Aesop's Fables where you can just grab one off the shelf, read it, apply some little wisdom, and then put it back on and then grab another one. It's literally a narrative from start to finish that tells us about Jesus. So it's not just reading the single passages, reading the single verses, reading the single stories and applying those direct portions of wisdom to your life. It's seeing indirectly how the Bible weaves itself together. And so today, as we talk about this idea of leverage, like what does it mean to use something to, to maximum advantage, particularly with our resources? Like you know where this is going. You're thinking, okay, he's going to tell me that in order to maximize my resources and to use them to the best advantage, then I've got to save, 
That's right. Like you got to save for the future. You can't just like be willy nilly and like use it on. Like don't go into debt. Like get rid of the credit cards. He's going to tell us some principle like ten, ten, eighty, which is a great one, and we should live by that. Like save ten, give ten, uh, and then live on the other eighty. How generous is God to allow us to do that? There are biblical principles that tell us how to leverage our resources, but financial resources aren't our only resources. We have other things at our fingertips in order to be able to leverage for God's good glory in the world. And it all comes back to the idea of others. So if you open your Bibles and you've got them to the, uh, the, the book of Matthew, chapter 25, the first of four Gospels, the first of the New Testament books, the story of Jesus. Matthew is a great one because it starts right at the beginning when Jesus was born. You know, in virgin's arms, Mary laid in a manger, wise men came, shepherds came, the whole nine yards. Like it was a great, and we watched Jesus grow up and we learned he's, he's telling people about his father and about the kingdom of God and what it means to to know him and to follow him. He's doing miracles like crazy and people are blown away by not only the authority with which he teaches, but also the power that he yields over everything, not just people's infirmities, but also like wind and waves and weather patterns. This guy can do it all. And he came at a time when Israel needed him so desperately to be the rescuer and the redeemer and the leader and the shepherd that God had put him there to be. So he tells these parables, these stories, these, these like stories with a point, with a purpose. So these little made up tales that he gives to people that inspire them to know God better. And if you get to Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14, you get one that's called the, the parable of the bags of gold or the parable of the talents. Not talent like I'm a really awesome singer or drummer, um, neither of which is the case, but talent like what do you have as a resource? Like a, a talent, an amount of gold. So it says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five, five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his own ability. And you're immediately like your fair radar just went on because you're like, wait a minute. Why didn't he divide it up equally? Why didn't he give five to each of them or just one to each of them? Why? Where was the equality in that Jesus? But according to their ability as servants, he gave one guy five bags of gold, one guy two bags of gold, one guy one bag of gold. And the story goes on to say what those servants did with the gold while Jesus was gone. So the one who took five bags of gold, he literally went out and leveraged it and multiplied it so that when the master came back, he had 10 bags of gold. He doubled the master's money. Y'all tell me where that investment is because I will buy in today. Doubled the master's money. So the master comes back. He's like, tell me what you did with it. And he's like, hey, you gave me five bags of gold. I did this. It's now 10 bags of gold. And the master was like, way to go, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful with a few things, I'm going to put you in charge of a lot of things. It's just an equity on an investment. And the guy who had two bags of gold, same story. He had two bags of gold. He multiplied it while the master was gone. Now he's got four bags of gold, presents it to the master, so proud. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. But the guy that had one bag of gold, can read the story. He was afraid that he was going to lose the one bag of gold, so he went and hid it in a hole in the ground that he dug. So his master comes back and he says, hey, master, I knew that you were a hard man. I knew that you sowed where you didn't reap, and I knew that you were a difficult guy to work for. So I'll tell you what I did with your bag of gold. I went and hid it so that nobody could take it, so they're never going to lose it, and so that when you came back, I could give you exactly what you had given me back in full. The master looked at me and said, you wicked, lazy servant. You should have at least put that money in the bank so that you could earn back some sort of interest. But you didn't. 
And so take it from the wicked lazy servant and give it to the one who has more bags of gold. And this guy kicked out of the community. Throw him outside, verse 30, into darkness. And there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These, these parables that Jesus told are often comparison stories. Like you get three characters in the story or two characters in the story. And it's a comparison. Like this guy made the wise choice. This guy made the unwise choice. This guy built his house on the rock. This guy built his house on the sand. This guy multiplied and invested his money. This guy dug a hole in the ground and hid it so nothing would happen. Like you get a comparison story. And it's easy to look at that and say, okay, this guy used his talent. This guy leveraged it, multiplied it, maximum ability, presented it back to the master as a blessing, and this guy wasted the opportunity. So, of course, we want to be like that guy. You pick this story, sermons and books have been written about just this story, and we could read just that story. But if you put it into the bigger context of what Jesus is saying, there's a reason why the next story comes in the book of Matthew. We don't often read them together. We don't often look at them together. We don't often evaluate what they mean when they're pieced together with one another. Look at Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And at this time in the disciples' life, they already recognized Jesus as Messiah. They already recognized Jesus as Lord. They still did not know quite what it meant that he was going to have to die, that he was going to have to be resurrected, that he was going to have to ascend into heaven, that he was ultimately going to leave them. They didn't get that whole bit about the Holy Spirit coming down and dwelling inside of them and, and them being used to launch a movement called the church that would literally change the face of the planet. They were still a little bit fuzzy on all the details, but what they did know was that Jesus Christ was the long-awaited Messiah that God had promised. And so he's saying, hey, when the Son of of man that's a, that's a reference to the deity of jesus not just the fact that he was born of this human girl but ultimately a reference to the book of daniel he says i see the son of man like this is they knew what this meant it's the most often used title that jesus gave himself and it was a reference for those people that this guy is calling himself god so it says, when the Son of Man, God, in Jesus' form, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations, everybody, will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd shep separates, as a shepherd, like seashells, seashells by the seashore, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous, those on his right, those the sheep, will, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, you know the rest. You didn't feed me, I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink, I was a stranger, you did not invite me over, I was naked and you did not give me clothes, I was sick and in prison and you did not attend to me there. So basically, they said, well, wait a minute, when did we see you like that? Because whenever you did not do it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did not do it for me. Depart from me. Go away to punishment, but the, the righteousness, verse 46, to eternal life. 
See, that one parable gives us this, this summary statement of well done, good and faithful servant and, and what it means to be a faithful servant to the Lord. And, and knowing what you know from that, you dive into the next one. You say, okay, tell me realistically and logistically and, and strategically, what does it fully mean for us to be faithful to God? It's a comparison story. Guy who invested, the guy who wasted the sheep who served, and the goat who ignored. How do we be faithful with what we have? Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. You leverage it for the least. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. The answer to the question about how we are faithful to God is the way that we serve the lost and hurting and broken world around us. This week I had the, the privilege of not only being in the Amazon, it's my fourth trip there, I'll take my fifth one this summer. It's just an unreal blessing in my life to be able to go and to see and to share and to teach and to, to, to learn so much about Jesus and about people through those opportunities. This week was um, exceedingly special, however, because I was able to take my oldest daughter, Lily Kate. And so 12 years old, she goes down to the Amazon with me and we knew, we knew 100% that she was absolutely going to love being in Brazil because y'all, there's some wild animals down there. Like, there's some straight-up crazy things. Um, let me just give you the tiny little list of all the things that she held and touched. Tree boa, anaconda. Yep, they wrapped an anaconda around my 12-year-old daughter's neck. Some of y'all are calling Department of Children Protective Services because this dad let some jungle man wrap an anaconda around his child. Sloth. They are literally a built-in hug. You tell me the Lord doesn't love us. He made an animal in the shape of a hug. And like literally, like you hand it to you, that's all he knows. All he knows how to do is smile and hug. That's it. Like that's all. That's it. Like that's all a sloth knows how to do is hug right there. And so he did it. She didn't want to let him go. Um, iguana that our jungle guide spotted in the pitch black night, a hundred yards away, perched on top of a tree. They rode our boat into the brush. I didn't know what that guy was looking for. He reaches out, pulls in an iguana, lime green thing sticking there. Well, he can't got to hold that. Cayman, which is kind of like an alligator, kind of like a crocodile, but different. Like all these animals, bugs everywhere, stray dogs, stray cats. Like she's literally engulfed by the animals. My wife asked me last night on the couch, we were sitting talking about the trip. We got back yesterday evening and she's like, but, but tell me how she responded to the people. And I was like, well, there, there were moments when she didn't have words to, to see, um, to see and understand and comprehend the poverty, um, to see and understand and comprehend and articulate what it was like to be in that education system or to have that lack of resources and yet to be filled with joy. Kids who just loved to play, kids who loved to sing, kids who loved to learn and yet grow up so very differently from us. This past week, um, uh, all of the family ministry teams from all of our campuses, Nolensville, Franklin, and um, Belmont Heights, went to a conference in Atlanta. It's an annual conference for us. And they go, and the theme was making it personal. Like when you, when you, when you, when you look at a video on a screen and, and you pull out your checkbook and, and write a monthly donation to Justice and Mercy International or to Rolling Hills Community Church, like there is an, a, a tiny element of that that is personal for you because it's coming out of your pocketbook. But, but, but when you actually go and you see and you hug and you experience what God is doing in another part of the world, when you, when you give up your warm, cozy bed and your air conditioner all day to go and live on a boat, sleep in a hammock, floating down the Amazon River, things become 
become exceedingly personal for you. And so the theme of this conference for, for doing kids ministry and student ministry and like literally getting in your communities is get out there and, and, and make it personal for you. Know the names of the people that you're engaging. And one of the, the quotes that they came back and shared with the rest of our staff was that people find their place in the world through contribution, not consumption. You will not be remembered for how much you acquired in this life, but you will never be forgotten for the ways that you gave in this life. So we ask ourselves, why in the world don't we? Why, why don't we make it personal? Why don't we live as sheep, finding the, the least, the last, the lost, the hurting, the broken, the naked, the hungry, the thirsty, and spend those resources that we've been entrusted by the master, not just the financial ones, but the heart-filled ones, the hands and feet ones, the, the idea ones, the relationship ones, the friendship ones, the listening ear ones. Why aren't we leveraging all of those resources for the people who need it most, which Jesus called himself. When you did it for them, you did it for me. First is we just don't see it. We don't see it. The righteous answered him, Lord, when did we see you in any of those circumstances? The, the unrighteous answered him, Lord, when did we see you in any of those circumstances? And, and the king had to remind them, when you saw a hurting, broken, ignored, lost person, you were really seeing me. We don't, we don't help people because we don't see it. We literally turned a blind eye to not only who they are, but what it really means to serve Jesus by serving them. So my family moves up here to Nashville, to the big city last year from Spring Hill, right? And you think, oh, well, the suburbs, that's it. You've been in the Nashville area for 12 years, but we've only been in Nashville for uh, like eight months. And so what does that mean for us as a family? I'll tell you, it means my kids are exposed to the homeless population on the regular. Um, you see, our Walmart here in Nashville always has either a single woman, same lady, or a single woman, same lady, and whatever other man is around her at the entrance on Harding. Always. In, in Spring Hill, we never went to, well, we did go to Walmart, but we never went to Walmart and saw a homeless person standing out in front. That's not to say that they weren't there. We just didn't see them, but here we do. So my little boy who's six, um, he's in the kids' ministry, hanging out and learning great things. He's, he's, his wheels are churning, and he's learning, and he's asking questions about what it means to be homeless, what it means to be a person who does not have the resources that you need and does not have the life that we do. And so he asked me a couple of weeks ago in the car, Dad, can a kid be homeless? And I said, yeah, buddy, a kid can be homeless. A kid can absolutely be homeless. If the kid's parents don't have a place to live, if the kid's parents don't have a home for them to live in, then the kid goes with the parents and the kid, he may not have a place to sleep. He may not have a table to eat at. He may not have a roof over his head. Well, where do they live? He asked. And I said, well, there are probably moments where they stay in a car. There are probably moments where they stay um, uh, under a bridge or an overpass to, to, to get shelter. There's probably moments where they um, or in, in a tent, or probably moments where they get to go stay inside of a shelter that's at a church or a YMCA or right here in Nashville. We're trying to expose him to some details of what happens and, and how it goes. And, and I could tell the wheels were turning. We're driving down the road. He's quiet for a few minutes. And then he says, Dad, will, will I ever be homeless? 
And, and I'm thinking they're, they're catastrophic events, absolutely, like war, pestilence, disease, death. Like there's there's some things that could happen. But of course, I tell my six year old, you know, you know, buddy, you, you never will be homeless. Um, and because by the sovereignty and the generosity and the favor of God in our lives, I'm employed. And if I go through a season of unemployment, there have been decisions made that have been that are gonna, that are going to carry us through whatever that is. But then there's also a community of people, buddy. If, if something happens to mom and dad and we're not here with you and able to take care of you anymore, then, then you've got Uncle Matt and Aunt Lindy. They live in Charlotte, our best friends in life. They're not blood relatives, but they're the people that legally, there's a lawyer in Brentwood who did it for us, who, 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 will, who will take and steward our kids and whatever life insurance money is left there to, to raise them as we would. So you would go live with Matt and Lindy or with Poppy and Gigi or with Bo and Pop. I can tell his wheels were turning and he says... And if dad, I can't live with any of them, I'll go live with Miss Anna. She's the preschool minister at our Franklin campus. And if I can't live with Miss Anna, I'll, I'll live with Miss Kenley. She's the children's minister at our Franklin campus. And, and if I can't live with Miss Anna or Miss Kenley, I'll go live with Momo, which is Meredith, a girl that's nannied and babysat and raised him from birth. They live out in Murfreesboro. And Mr. Alex, you know, her husband, like I'll go live with him. And, and it's dawning on me in that moment, my kid, six years old, has community and he knows beyond his mother and I who his people are that's rare seven plus billion people in the world that is rare that's not anything we did that's what the Lord's provided and there are people out there out of this room Maybe even somebody in this room. And you don't know who, who your people are. And there's people out there and they don't know who their, who their people are. Who will see them. Understand their needs. And step into the gap and meet it. My kids, we've got our people. Had we not arrived at our destination, we could have played that game for another hour driving down the road and some of your names would have popped up because he'll just come live with you because he knows he has people. There are people out there who do not have people and they know that they are not seen. When you ask somebody what they need, and you're willing to step in that space to listen, they become visible and they become valuable. We long to be seen. And Jesus looked at the sheep on his right and said, when you saw the hungry person and you fed him, you saw the thirsty person, you gave him something to drink, you saw the naked person and you <laughs> naked, like I'm from like East Tennessee, like naked. Like you saw the naked person and you gave them something to wear. You saw the person in prison. You saw the person who was sick and you attended to their needs. When you saw them as visible and valuable, you really saw Jesus and his purpose for what he wants you to do with your bags of gold, what he wants you to do with your hands and feet, what he wants you to do with your heart of compassion, you saw and you leveraged by listening, by attending. We don't, we don't help the least of these. We don't live for the least of these because we don't see it. We've got to open our eyes so that we see it, so we understand it, so that we attend to it. 
We don't don't help because it's in your notes. It's like, we don't think we actually can help. A lot of times we see needs and, and we don't think that we actually can. That's what, that's, a, that's a problem with the man who only had one bag of gold. He didn't think he could do anything with him, so he went and dug a hole and hid it there. He hid his master's money. He says in Matthew 25, 25, I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. The expectation was the same for every single servant. Multiply, double, invest. But the first two servants had more gold. And so our natural inclination is that the the people who have the most are the ones who should be doing something about the needs in the world. And it is always, always, always easy to find someone who has more than you, to have someone who has two to your one or five to your one. It's always easier to find someone with more. And comparison is a dangerous game because comparison always, always, always leads to fear and depression. Anytime we compare... We always land in the spot where we're the one who has less and somebody else who has more. They're the people that actually should be helping. But we're off the hook because we had less. The servant with one bag of gold was not off the hook. The expectation was still the same. Take what you have. Add in that next story and use it for those who don't. When we live as people who do not think that we have what it takes or that we are what it takes or that we can do what it takes to help someone else, we diminish, it's in your notes this morning, we diminish not only our own God-given potential, but God himself's power. I don't ever want to stand on the left side of the equation as someone who diminished the potential that God had placed and entrusted in me And the power that he himself wanted to execute through me. I don't want to be a person who diminishes what I can do. And I definitely don't want to be a person who diminishes what God himself can do. But we don't do that Matthew chapter 25 starting with verse 31 sheep thing because we don't think we can help. We don't, we don't think we can actually make a dent in the need. We're walking through this, through this village. Um, Lily Kate had taken leftover bread from breakfast and y'all, she's an animal kid, like just loves them. And we knew we would see stray dogs and she had already seen them in the village before. So the next day she's like, well, I'm gonna take some bread. And there she was, like a couple stray dogs in. She's like, hey, fed that one some bread, fed that one some bread, fed that one some bread, fed that one some bread. That's great. And then she, of course, ran out of bread and we saw a whole lot more stray dogs. We saw a whole lot more stray cats in this village of Urikurituba. I I pronounced it. Way to go. Like we saw all these animals. And I said, here's the deal. She did for the one what she wished she could do for the many. You may not be able to make a dent in the world's disease, a dent in the world's hunger, a dent in the world's poverty, a a dent in the world's thirst, a dent in the world's nightly. But every single one of us can do something. We don't see it. We don't think we can help. And we've also, as a people, in some stages of life, we've, we've predetermined our own direction. Like we've made up our minds of, of which direction we're going to go in life and what we're going to acquire in life and what is going to be about us in life. There's a story from the book of Acts chapter 5. Um, it's about this couple, um, Ananias and Sapphira. 
And it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 1, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And, and you read that story. You, you, you read the story. You can go uh, through in Acts chapter 5, and you'll find out what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, and it's not a good ending. And you see, like, well, that's great. But, but this itself is another comparison story. How's it a comparison story? Well, well, you don't just read Acts chapter 5 isolated and alone all by itself. You read Acts chapter 5 coupled with the fact that you had just finished Acts chapter 4, which starts out this guy named Joseph, who was a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field and he brought the money, all of it, and put it at the apostles' feet. The Bible's full of comparisons. Multiply. Waste. Live for the least. Live for yourself. Give all you got. Hold some back. We are son of encouraged to do the exact same thing. To, to give to God everything that we have, all the resources that we've been entrusted, all the time that we have, the education that he's allowed and uh, uh, afforded, the hands and the feet and the talents and the abilities and the, the ideas and the strategies. We are called to to give that, to leverage our everything for the purpose of Jesus Christ. With our resources, that's a broad, broad umbrella category. With our everything that's been entrusted to us, the five or the two or the one bag of everything that we've been given, we can prioritize Jesus and give generously and strategically. Or the opposite of that, we can operate out of fear and remain tethered to our enemy. He said that in Matthew 25, 26. Wicked, lazy servant. He said that in Matthew 25, 45. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Everything that we've been entrusted is to, is to somehow be leveraged, maximized, used to its fullest potential for others. Least, last, law, hurt, invisible, lonely, unseen people of the world. You know, as a church, we can do that better together than we can do it apart. Everybody's kind of after the finer things in life. This week, all I wanted was an upgraded iPhone that had portrait mode. Because I was taking pictures on the trip. And everybody else's pictures were better than mine. When, when we're, 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 we're all after finer things in life. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called and equipped to redefine for the world what is finer and to live for that. Because according to this, it's way more blessed to give than receive. According to this, when, 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 when we live our lives for others, seeing and meeting those needs, we're really doing it for Jesus. And we want to live our lives for him. Because he gave his life for us. How are you going to leverage 
what's been entrusted to you for the sake of others around you. Doesn't matter if it's one, two, or five. Doesn't matter if it's 10, 20, 30. Doesn't matter if it's a half of nothing. We're called to leverage all that we are in Jesus to serve and spread the name and the love of Jesus. And it's a joy to do that. It's an honest to goodness joy and a blessing to live our lives that way. That guy Barnabas, the reason they called him son of encouragement is because he was encouraging. Who's encouraged? Who's, who's, who's an encouraging person? Somebody that's angry and bitter and resentful or somebody who's joy-filled and excited? Well, he gave away everything he had and he was still joy-filled and excited. I, I'm encouraged by that and I'm encouraged to be that. Comparison stories all in scripture. When we start to piece things together, we realize that there's a grander story and a greater narrative that we are invited to participate in when we look and we see and we listen and we hear and we serve others. That's the way that we leverage everything that we've been given and trusted. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day and this time together. Um, these passages of scripture that speak such powerful truths Thank you for helping us put pieces and pieces and, and parts of it together in hopefully new and challenging ways. Folks, just kind of be quiet and still for a minute. We say heads bowed and eyes closed for a couple of reasons. It's, it's a multitasking kind of thing. We ask you to do it because it, it's reverent. And we are speaking to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We can't, we can't look directly at him. We're going we're gonna to close our eyes and bow in reverence and fear and awe. But we're also, as people, just going to eliminate the distractions around us. So for a moment, just you there. What is it that God has entrusted to you? Have you leveraged it or have you hit it? Have you made it all about him? Or have you made it all about you? For some, that's treasure. Um, it's financial resources. I mean, we live in the wealthiest country in the world, and we're blessed beyond measure. And we live in a fantastic city, incredible counties. And, and maybe you're looking around the room, and you're like, well, there's a lot of fives in here, and there's a lot of twos in here, and I'm just a one. That our one is, is greater than so many others out there. And so, so there, there, there is a portion of this message that's, that's treasure related. And maybe there's an inspiration from, from God Almighty um, to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to reevaluate and restructure and reprioritize and, and begin leveraging the resources that you've provided to me um, to bless others. Maybe it's, it's, it's bags of real talents. It's just abilities and personality traits and characteristics that God has blessed you with that make you unique and different and friendly and just talented and gifted in some ways. And you're using that to, to, to climb a ladder, to get ahead in your career, to pursue an education and a degree and a platform and all sorts of other opportunities. But have you fully leveraged everything that you have as an intangible resource for the glory of God? For the building up of his kingdom, which, by the way, is a church in this world. 
for the local church, for this church, and if not this church, some other church out there in Nashville to see people come to know Christ and live fully alive for him, maybe you would want to present that to God today as something that you are ready to multiply for his name. Maybe you're someone in here who's just looking at life and you're saying, I, I want to know Jesus. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to experience Jesus. I, I, I see something. I sense something. I, I know something's missing. I would love nothing more than to talk to you today about what Christ has done for you. Because it's not just about what you can do for him. In fact, it's nothing about that. What we do for him is not to earn him. What we do for him is to live for him so we're going to talk about what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ someone who calls himself a Christian and lives out that calling and that identity in this broken world maybe you can picture it I know so well what the lady looks like outside the Walmart on Harding Road that if I saw her in another place I would recognize her I don't yet know her name but I know who she is. And I think I know what the needs are. So how, who's that person? Who are you visualizing? Somebody in need, not just the homeless population around the city of Nashville, but um, a neighbor or a relative or a friend or a coworker who's lost and alone and hurting without Christ. I talked about hugs already this morning. Maybe the shape that you were made into is also that. Maybe it's just a chance to give that away to somebody else. Whatever it is, we're called to leverage it. And I pray that we would be a church who, who does that well. I pray that we would be known for that. Who love Jesus. Who serve Jesus by loving and by serving others in the maximum ways that we can. Holy God, would you be blessed today because of who we are in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.